Welcome, disciple makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies six main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. Access it today at thesparkconference.com. We're also setting up learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget, you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast. Hey friends, thank you for engaging today. You are going to be so glad that you did. And you're gonna to wanna to watch till the end as we talk about one of the uh, lots of topics among pastors and leaders, what we're dealing with, but we're with one of the most effective and faithful pastors that's uh, been in Georgia and really across our nation. Dr. Michael Catt is with us today. I've also got PJ Dunn. PJ is uh, one of our consultants down in the Southeast region, just crushing it and super excited to have PJ with us as well, and he'll be producing. And Dr. Cat has been 15 years in student ministry, which really gives him great perspective as he jumped into the pastorate. In the 80s, he began pastoring in Oklahoma. He's a movie producer, has nine books, former senior pastor at Sherwood Church uh, from 1989 until his retirement in 2021. He's married to Terry and has two lovely girls. He's received an undergraduate degree from Mississippi College. He has a Master's of Divinity degree from Luther Rice, and also has a doctoral degree from Trinity Theological Seminary. Michael, thank you for being with us, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great, Scott. I'm doing great. Cool. Glad to be, glad really to be with you guys. Yeah, great to have you. And PJ, man, we're glad you're with us today. And uh, just a ton of fun, full of energy, and uh, things going well down in southeast or southwest Georgia. Yeah, we're, we're offended by the Southeast comment. But yeah, Southwest Georgia is going great. The Nats are still going strong. Jesus is Lord. That's right. That's right. <laughs> How did they get on the ark? I know. <laughs> Why, Lord? That's right. Well, I'm excited both of you have joined us, and we're glad that you all are engaging with us at, at home or in your office watching or viewing on whatever device you are watching this. Now, let me give just a reminder here that our team has a pile of resources that we want to give away so make sure that you leave a comment on the broadcast, and that'll get you entered into a drawing. Some things that'll have to do with uh, Dr. Cat. some of those are resources from us, but we want to give that to you, but you got to leave a comment so we can know where you're watching from and that you are engaged. Now, PJ, we have also gotten some questions about, man, if I miss this, because, you know, we do this Thursdays at three o'clock, and there are other platforms. How can people watch this? Can you help our viewers just remind them of some opportunities of how they can watch this or listen to this if they don't catch it Thursday at three. Yeah, one, one of the unique things about what we do is we're not just a podcast. You know, we do a broadcast and we have over 100 interactions every time we go live on Thursday. So in our Facebook group, we go live. You can chat there, interact. That's where you get entered in for swag. But you can also catch us on Instagram and you can catch us on any podcast platform. And in addition to that, uh, we have a YouTube channel. On that YouTube channel, you can go back for the last year and watch it. And Scott, I actually got connected to a pastor down here 
that's not, I don't know, 40 minutes from my house. And he found us through YouTube. And so um, it really is being a, a valuable resource to, to pastor. So connect with us in all those ways, subscribe and, and never miss an episode. There you go. Opportunity to get involved. Well, Dr. Cat, you have spent time as student pastor. Uh, much of your years, many, most of your years were as pastor there at Sherwood Church in Albany. What are some of those most proud moments of your years of ministry, particularly at Sherwood there in Albany? I think starting the prayer ministry was mm. pivotal. Uh, I inherited a very um, legalistic, almost independent Baptist church. And uh, King James Schofield, you know, not trying to offend anybody, but that wasn't really who I was, but I knew God had called me there. Yeah. And the prayer ministry was the navigation through troubled waters. Hmm. It was uh, it was the pilot. It was the lighthouse. Um, and Don Miller came and helped us start that prayer ministry. And we have a prayer tower in front of the church. We write hundreds of prayer cards each week, but everything was bathed in prayer. The last couple of years, I kind of changed some of the statements we were using. And I said, you know, really prayer leads us to worship God, grow together, serve others, and change the world. That if it's not birthed in prayer, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're partnering with God in this thing. It's not our idea, it's his idea. And and prayer puts us on the same page with the Lord. Uh, I think that one, I think there were fresh conferences. You know, we did 35 of those. And uh, to see that, especially the ones we did away from Sherwood with pastors, and to see guys rolling in on four flat tires, some of them with their resignations in their pocket, yeah. saying, I'm going to go to one more conference, and then I'm going to quit, which is kind of what we have coming out of COVID now. Right. Um, and to see them get some air in their tires, some wind in their sails, and to say, you know what? The battle is real, and it's tough, but I've been called to be in the battle. I'm not called to run from the battle. I'm called to run to the battle. Hmm. I, I think the longevity of our staff, I mean, we had 40 guys that were with us for 20 years. Uh, wow. That's that's hard to, to get anymore. Yes. Uh, especially when churches like Sherwood in a small town in Georgia can feel like a uh, farm club for a bigger church. Yep. You know, in fact, I had to tell a mega church pastor one day, quit picking off my staff. Yeah. I just called him and told him, I said, look, you got to quit thinking we're a farm club. Mm. I mean, in Albany, Georgia, we're a mega church. And I need staff that operate at that level. I don't need guys that are average. I need yeah. guys that are great. If you keep stealing them, <laughs> the pool's going to get shallow real quick. That's right. Hey, well, let me lean in just for a second there, Dr. Okay. Dr. Cat, because what you're talking about is this is really important because I'm a huge believer in long-term tenure. And I also what I'm seeing in most churches is they don't treat staff in such a way that they will stay long-term. What are some of the dynamics, maybe some of the culture that was created at Sherwood 
that not just kept people, but made them want to stay there long term? Uh, I think a couple of things. First of all, I worked behind the scenes with the personnel uh, ministry team early on. And I said, guys, most Baptist churches, the deacons and the personnel committee are the adversaries. Hmm. How little can we pay? How little vacation can we give them? You know, how much can we just get our nose in their business? And I said, your job is to be the advocates. Uh, and what clicked with our personnel team, I said, every time we lose a staff member, we spend five to 10 times more going to search for another staff member than we would have spent if we'd just given the guy a raise yeah. and made sure he had good benefits. And so we made sure that uh, our staff was able to go to the Christian school, their kids. Uh, we made sure they got retirement money and, and that was not bubblegum money that they could spend now because we wanted to invest in the day when they said, I need to retire. And they had something to retire on and not be paupers yeah. and their wives not be broke one day when they're gone. So I think it was that, I think it was going to lunch together with the whole staff every week that I was in town. Uh, we would just go sit and laugh. Sometimes we'd talk ministry. Sometimes it would be, hey, you tell me what you're doing. You tell me what's going on. And sometimes it was football. Uh, it was building a culture. Uh, and we went on staff retreats. Sometimes they weren't long. But just to get away. I mean, when you ride in a van with 10 other people, you better like them. <laughs> no matter how far you're going. <laughs> that's good. That, well, that's really good. And I want to share a little bit of perspective on the culture aspect of that. Cause you know, Scott, we do make processes, especially in our larger churches. And, um, and this is a story that translates to any size church. And so, you know, we move in the middle of the pandemic and, and we're not connected to anybody. We're not from Southwest Georgia. We know no one. And so um, I was watching one of the services and I just made a little comment and just said, hey, new to the area. And one of the pastor's wives read the comment, got connected with my wife. And next thing I know, we're blueberry picking uh, on, a, on a Saturday afternoon and it's miserable and there's gnats and we're not, you know, it's just, it's just this whole scene playing out with kids and, and it was a blast. And so like the reason we're connected at our church is blueberry picking, you know, the, the movies, the, the, all those things that we think that that maybe are the reason somebody chooses a church like that really wasn't a factor at all for us. It was the culture that that uh, Michael's talking about that was built, that was ingrained in the families, you know, not just because they paid them, but because they love it. Yeah. Well, let me let me go one layer deeper here just for a second, because I've been doing a lot of study on that Old Testament word, um, hesed, that deep, intimate connection with the Lord, but also what he desires for us to have in the church and like what Michael, when I hear you talking about what you were trying to do with the staff and then PJ, that flowed from, from Michael to staff and then down into the membership of the church. And then that membership reaches out to a new guy like you. That's culture development, but it's also something that's not normal. And I think that one of the, the things that PJ, you and I are hearing when we're going in the field every day is our pastors are struggling and they're burning out and we're hearing more of them wanting to retire, wanting to quit, wanting to get a secular job, wanting to do something else. So there's, 
this burnout. And we hear these things like, man, if I can just get a sabbatical, if I can just get a vacation. And then what we're telling them, Michael, is that a vacation is not a cure for burnout. Sure. A sustainable system, um, a deep hesed kind of connection is, is the cure for that. So what would, you, what would you say to the pastors? And there's going to be a lot, a lot of leaders, hundreds, if not thousands of people are going to watch this in the next few days, what would you say to them when they're on that edge of burnout, struggling, not knowing exactly what to do, and they're wanting to turn in that resignation? Well, b- before I answer that, one of the keys to longevity with our staff was my wife, and uh, PJ mentioned a staff wife reached out. Mm. My wife had a monthly prayer time with our staff wives, wow. and it was a safe zone, and, and I don't even know what they talked about. I do not. At Terry, Terry told them, unless it threatens the unity of the church, or is something of a moral failure, uh, what happens in this prayer time stays here. And they would meet not to eat. You could have one thing like cookies, but they would meet typically from seven o'clock at night to eleven, eleven thirty. Wow! And just talk and share, talk about their kids. Talk about what's going on. I tell you, when your wife is refreshed, you're refreshed. Hmm. Because the, the wife feels isolated. You know, the staff guy gets paid for putting up with stuff. The wife hears that she gets beaten down. And when she gets beaten down, the kids get beaten down. And then the guy feels like he's helpless and he tanks. You know, because he's given everything to all these other people. And he he has nothing to draw from when he gets home. He doesn't have a wife that's been refreshed and encouraged because of him and because of relationship with other staff wives. So there's they had a text thread. I mean, anything that was going on, anything. My kid's sick. Somebody bullied my kid, whatever, was on this ongoing text thread for over 20 years. Wow. It sure would. Uh, Rhythms are important. We realized that, but way before COVID, we were working our guys too hard. I mean, it was like being in the office, you know, as if being in the office is ministry. Hmm. And ministry happens outside the office. And so we went to a day and a half off and said, you pick a half day during the week and you pick another day and you take it off. And at first it was like, well, I got, I still got to go in, you know, I got to be spiritual. And that's the, that's the works oriented view of life. You know, the harder I work, the more spiritual I am. No, the smarter I work, you know, Jesus did everything he needed to do in three years. Wow. And he paced himself. He went off by himself. He gathered the disciples to himself. And he taught them how to live the life of Christ while he was on earth. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to empower us. I think one of the reasons we get out of rhythm, we think we're here to help God out. And we're not. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life of Christ. It is not I, but Christ that lives in me. You know, 
And, and we forget that, Scott. We, we go full bore and we never take a rest. I mean, honest to goodness, sometimes I would close the door to my office and I'd take a 20-minute nap. And I, when I was studying for years until like everybody got it, I put a sign on my door that said, unless you're planning on preaching Sunday, don't knock. <laughs> well, let me, let me, um, let me drill into that a little bit with you, Michael, because, um, you know, you, that the phrase, you know, like we're, we're here to help God out really is kind of how we feel sometimes. Like it's, that stings, uh, me because, yes. um, I'm a, I'm a driven, you know, process, I can do it kind of guy. And so I do think like, if I don't show up to that meeting, or if I don't show up to that event, like, you know, God can't. And, and that's really what we're saying when we take control. Of course, we don't mean it in the more, that moment, you know, we, we're just passionate, we love Jesus, but, but it stings. Um, and that leads me to this question, which is just advice for guys that are a couple of years into ministry, you know, maybe like myself and um, you know, we, we do interact with a lot of young leader network, uh, something that we're working on here and Dallas White is working on that shout out to him um, and doing great things over there. And so there are several of us and, and um, you know, how do we focus on discipleship for all those years? Because discipleship is exhausting work. Right. It's relational. It takes a lot of time. And, and you've, you've done that in a myriad of different settings. And so how do, how do we pace ourselves when we just want to charge the hill every day? Well, I, I think that the, I think the closed door <laughs> of your office is you have to have think time. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think whoever you are, whether you're a staff member or a pastor going into a church, you need to quit thinking you're in a beauty pageant, you know, competing for a job hmm. and think I'm a God called man. And I, these are the things I need to be whatever success is. And if they don't want that, you don't want to go to that church anyway. Hmm. I mean, that's the reality. Uh, you know, we think I have to go to this church and this, and the church is run by jerks. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're deacon possessed churches that think their job, you know, the old line, their job is to keep the staff humble and everything else. I think you've got to set the expectations at the front. And if not, have meetings with people that you trust. Go take some guy to coffee or to breakfast and start meeting with him every week and do what if conversations. You know, what if I changed the trajectory of my ministry? What if I changed my schedule? What if we didn't have so many meetings? Hmm. Uh, one year we went through our calendar and said, there's too much stuff on this calendar. We've got to take some of this stuff off because we're running from one event to another. And we're thinking if our people don't sp show up, they're not spiritual. No, they're tired. <laughs> and we're tired of doing them. You know, and if COVID should have done anything, it should have made us think what's really important. And what's really important is people and investing in people. It's not going to long meetings. 
you know, Tom Elif taught me, he said, you have a staff meeting. He said, I did this at First Southern for 20 years. I did this as president of the International Mission Board. He said, we would get going and then it just start this circular, you know, hey, I read a church newsletter and this guy's doing this. And what do you think about this? He said, no, I know they haven't prayed about it. I know they haven't even thought about it. I know they haven't strategically thought through what they just said. And I would just clap my hands like this and go, well, amen. And his executive pastor told the <laughs> staff, when Tom claps his hands and says, amen, the meeting is over. <laughs> it doesn't matter what else you've got to say. That's what the that sign. Did, what that did is it made staff guys prioritize what they really needed to talk about. Rather that's than ramble through something. Yeah, that's really good. And, and we're, you know, this idea of really, I think what we're talking about is being before we doing. Yes. The, the walking with Christ, being with him, being with our spouse and creating a rhythm where we have something that the Holy Spirit of God is doing within us so that we can operate out of the overflow, which right. leads me to this next question here. Michael, I know that finishing well is a priority for you. And, um, and there's really two parts to this question. So the first part of it in, in finishing well, I'm seeing a lot of pastors resign, retire, and they're trying to transition from, you know, being there 10 to 50 years with their church. So they want to transition well, but it's not going well. I mean, most of the people I know, the church is just really struggling and it's tanking. So can you share the process of transitioning to a new pastor there at Sherwood? Because it really has been impressive to watch. How long do you want this answer? To be? <laughs> I've got 31 years of answers and, and uh, 38 years of questions. But um, I think, Scott, um, you have to plan for a transition before there is a transition. Uh, if you're a long term pastor, uh, I went to a meeting in uh, Arkansas. Ronnie Floyd called it about, oh gosh, I don't know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, with 20 pastors, and we were all 50 and over, and we talked about transitions, and not one pastor in that room had a transition plan, mm -hmm. 50 and over, not one, and uh, the youngest guy in the room was David Landreth at Long Hollow, and he's the first guy to die. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, here's the problem. We think we're going to live forever. We think the church can't do without us, that we're indispensable. And so we never think about the future. We're like all those church members and all those lost people that we talk about and say, you know, you're going to die one day. Now, oh, no, not me. You know, well, let's not talk about death. Let's no, 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 let's not talk about that. And so we never talk about it. I said at Sherwood, I would be the pastor as long as I had vision, passion, and health. Well, I, I still have vision and passion, but I don't have the health going through my third round of cancer treatments. Yeah. And I could not lead a church out of COVID uh, with the lack of physical strength. Uh, that I have now. I just can't do it at that level. I can't go to that many things uh, to pull it out. So they needed a younger pastor. So actually back in 2012, I set up a transition team. 
this is how we're going to call the next pastor. If I die today or if I retire when I'm 85, you know, <laughs> like Caleb, this is the transition team. This is how it's going to work. So it's not, well, we need to vote on that guy because his wife is pretty. And we, you know, we need to get somebody from the youth and from the children and everything. No, you, leaders choose leaders, mm. <clears throat> you know. And so all of mine were former deacon chairmen. So they understood the DNA of the church. They understood the culture of the church. They understood my DNA. And they didn't have to get on a learning curve to figure out what to do. Then I gave them an advisory board. I would say to any pastor that's thinking about transitioning, you know, if you're in a small church, I mean, call you, call PJ, call somebody and say, I need you to advise our team how to look for a pastor. Because we know the train wrecks. Yes. I mean, we know the train wrecks. I gave our team 27 things they had to do before I would even give them a name. And I said, I've got one name for you. Of course, first thing was, uh, what if that one doesn't work out? Shouldn't we be asking for resumes and shouldn't we contact? I said, no, there's one man that God wants at, at Sherwood. Tom Elliff told him the same thing. Ronnie Floyd told him the same thing. Jimmy Draper told him the same thing. Hmm. I mean, when they talk to leaders, leaders will tell them, this is not Jesse trotting out his boys and forgetting about David. Yeah. When you do that, you get Saul. And hmm. Saul's never stay. Wow. Saul's are always looking for how to make Saul better. David's out there just minding his business with the sheep. And what you're looking for is a shepherd that will love a church and stay until God calls him away. And when Paul came, you know, Paul and I had been talking for about two years, just almost laughing about it, that a guy would leave Las Vegas in a church he planted 18 years ago that was as big as Sherwood that he would leave there and come to Albany. I mean, it was a joke at the beginning. Like, yeah, right. And, and God just began to work in his heart. Coincidentally, he had 27 things in prayer that God had to answer. And on the last week before he went in view of a call, God answered number 27. Hmm. So there's no doubt in his mind that he's supposed to be there that a church would vote unanimously on a ballot vote with your name on it is a thing of God in a Baptist church. Yeah. Yes. So I think transitions have to be planned. I think you ought to have a transition plan set in place and start talking about it six months to a year after you go to a church. Because here's the thing, we're all interim pastors. All of us are. Good word. Until the next pastor comes. None of us are going to carry the baton across the finish line, except the guy that's serving that church when Jesus comes back. So until then, how do we prepare for the pass off and not drop it ourselves or pass it to the wrong guy? Well, and I want to jump in there too, because, um, and I know you got something to ask Scott too, but when you said that, Michael, I just think, 
um, that applies to everybody. And we say that a lot on this broadcast because, you know, a third of our pastors are bivocational. 80-something percent of our pastors run less than 250 on a Sunday morning. And they think, oh, you're just talking about the Sherwoods right now. And, and we're not. You're talking about the bivocational pastor that served faithfully for 30 years in his yes, church. Sir. And he's ministering to a handful of God-given sheep. And that's just as valuable, right? There's yes, nobody sir. saying that's different. And so how are you going to pass that baton off? And on those levels, we tend to think like what you're saying. Oh, we'll just take it when we get there. But like being intentional, no matter what the size flock you have, Oh man, that's it's just special, and it and it does translate. To well, let, let, let me let me say a word if I can to the bivocational guys and the guys in the church running under two hundred. Uh, you're one medical diagnosis away from not being able to be the pastor of that church, whether you're sixty five or twenty five. Uh, you're one medical diagnosis with your wife away from I can't do a secular job and this. Uh, you're one shutdown of a corporation in your town from losing half your membership. Mm. We are not in control of our future. Uh, you're one kid that has a terminal illness away from, I can't do this anymore. And so we pray those things don't happen. But the reality is life stinks. <laughs> and if we don't prepare the church, we haven't really shepherded the church like a shepherd should shepherd sheep. Sheep need to be led. And part of leading is saying it could happen to any of us. You know, we go visit the hospital, you know, we stand by the casket and we do all these things. And all the time in a minister's mind is, everybody but me. And I don't care if you're pastoring 10 people or 10,000. It's going to be us one day. And how you leave and how you prepare the church for you to leave is more important than how you came. Mm, that's strong. That's really, that's strong, Dr. Cat. I appreciate that perspective. And I am so glad that we are videoing that we are recording this because, um, you know, I, I lead these conversations, but these, this is one of those conversations that I am going to go back and continue to draw nuggets from, man, I just uh, want to write notes and uh, all the way through this, but here's a, here's a follow-up question I want to ask you because we're talking about finishing well and, and the perspective of all of us are one diagnosis or phone call away from life changing. Do you have any regrets when you think back of those last 40 years, ministry, leading, family, um, husband, wearing the husband hat, the, the father hat, the friend hat, or any regrets come to your mind? Um, there were too many times when Terry suffered from me getting up from the dinner table and saying, I got to go do some work. Hmm. And, uh, she and my girls in some years, and she finally got me on it uh, because I had a study at home. You know, I'd come home from work, I'd eat, I'd go up to my study and work. And one day I realized, you know, whatever it is I'm working on, it's going to be there tomorrow. But, you know, with your kids, they don't come back and ask, can we do four again? 
you know, can we do seven again? Can, can wow. we redo soccer again or basketball or whatever again? And dad, would you make my games this time? So when Aaron started cheerleading uh, in the ninth grade, I put on my calendar every home game that she had to be a cheerleader. And I did not miss one from ninth grade to 12th grade. When Haley played basketball, I did not miss a home game. Sometime I couldn't make an away game, but I didn't miss a home game. I regret that sometimes um, I didn't love the staff the way I should have. I, I didn't, I knew something was going on and I got busy in my own world. I didn't just go and sit down in their office and say, how you doing? Hmm. You know, no agenda, just how you doing? Um, because I thought, hey, they're called. They can, you know, they can do this. They're called to do this, you know, because I'm, I'm a driven person. I'm a type A person. I, I don't need a lot of pats on the back. But everybody's wired differently. And uh, I think sometimes our staff members and our key leaders are hurting and we don't take time to sense it. And to sense it, you gotta be in the presence of it. Uh, wow. we, we just don't take time to go, man, he's really down. You know, I, I need to do something to, to help that guy. I need to write him a note. I need to go sit in his office. I need to take him to go play golf. I need to do something with them. I miss some of those moments. Um, I regret, I regret sometimes in sermons when I let my flesh get in the way because I saw the guy that was unresponsive and basically looking at me like, when are you going to shut up so I can leave? Mm -hmm. And I started worrying about him instead of looking at the people that were absorbed in the word, that were cheerleading what God was doing. You know, I mean, I can miss the view of the mountains for one gnat. <laughs> and I think, you know, one knucklehead in the church can drive a man in ministry crazy. And we can have everything in the world going good. And all we think about is that guy. Yeah. And he just gets under our skin. And I think I regret letting those people get under my skin. Because I realized nothing I could do or anybody could do was going to make them happy because they weren't happy in Jesus. Hmm. How am I going to make them happy? <laughs> yeah, you know That's good. And over the last few moments here, Dr. Cat, I have begun to get a sense of your heart for the people that you served with, your heart for your family, um, the relational engagement. There's so many of us hold dear when we think about ministry. I mean, leaving Halton, the, the most difficult part for me was the people that I left, 16 yeah. years of investment and, and coming here. And PJ, I want to kick a question to you because you have a different perspective on this because Michael was there all those decades, had a transition plan, finished well in that moment, uh, is in a, a new phase of life. He's still leading, do, doing things well, even though health is still trying to catch up. But you came in 
during that transition and you saw how he finished, but you also saw the, the backside of how that was going at Sherwood. What is your perspective on that time of, of uh, Michael finishing out and pandemic and everything else? You know, it's interesting because as much as an extroverted extrovert that I am, um, I, I very, really? kind of, yeah, it's <laughs> a little, right. I, um, I hid a little bit, right. Um, I didn't, I didn't run up to, to Michael and just say, Hey, I'm PJ. I work for the Georgia Baptist mission board. Like I just kind of hit out and I just wanted to be a part of the church. I wanted to have a different perspective than just the guy that walks in the room with the title. And so, um, as that progressed and then, you know, it, it, Michael was retiring. I was like, man, I, I missed it. You know, like I felt really sad that we didn't get to connect as much. And, um, and, and there was a few moments that came out of that, but, but the one that I want to share here is there's a picture of you when you're walking out of the door of the church for the last time. And, uh, and, and you got a selfie or, or somebody took a picture of you, Michael. And, and I was actually in my truck sitting in the parking lot and I had just had coffee with a mother whose son accepted Christ at the DNAP. And, um, and I'm sitting here thinking, is that what I think that moment is? And then I saw it on your social media, you know, and that's what the moment was. That was the last moment of walking out of the door. And I just think the lifelong impact of discipleship is that you don't always get all the stories. And like your investment in leaders and leaders and decades of work poured into a DNAP moment where this kid accepts Christ in a, in a very hard season and his family ends up getting baptized. He gets baptized and now he's meeting with other kids and leading a group and that, and that does stem from leadership. And so I think in disciple making, like sometimes it's just so hard to see the fruit and we don't always hear that story. We do get stuck on the net, so to yeah. speak. Um, yeah. And, and so like seeing that perspective has just been amazing. And then you and I got to connect that, um, the Worldwide Center of Baptists in Nashville this year. And, um, you know, of all places, that's where we got to hang out for a day, you know, just a yeah. God-ordained kind of afternoon where we got yeah. to to really become friends and, and get to know one another. And, and it was such a, a cherished couple of of hours that I just thought, man, this is, this is special. And, and that's it. So, I mean, that's meant a lot to me, Scott, just seeing the impact where I don't know if the leader would see the impact and being, yes. being a part of that organization. And I think, uh, PJ, I think sometimes God hides the results from us to keep us from pride. Well, that's good. Yeah. That is, that's really strong, Dr. Cat. Um, and I think about your ministry and, and I, you know, PJ, we didn't even plan to ask this, but I have to ask this question. How in the world does Sherwood Baptist Church become the movie church? Like, give us, just give us, take, take 90 seconds here. And I just got to ask the question, because there are people like me who didn't grow up in Albany or in Georgia that are wondering, I mean, it's pretty phenomenal for a church in, in Albany, which is in Southwest Georgia, that, that has the vision and then the capacity and then just God's favor to develop that. Can you speak just to how that developed and where that came to heart? Well, I think every church wants to reach the world, whether it's through cooperative program, Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, whatever, every church wants to reach the world. God gave us a unique way of reaching it. Uh, my attitude has always been a blank canvas. If money was no object and you knew you could not fail, what would you try to do? Hmm. 
And it began with a conversation with Alex Kendrick and myself at Walt Disney World on the parade route, the creative mecca of the world. Yes. And uh, I asked Alex, uh, what do you want to do in three to five years? He said, I want to make movies, but I don't think I can be on a church staff and do it. And I said, bring me a budget and bring me a script. And that's where Flywheel came from. $20,000 movie. It's now sold a million DVDs. It's been shown around the world. It's been bootlegged in China. Uh, car dealers have been saved because it's a story of a car dealer. Yeah. We've gotten emails of car dealers that have been saved. Uh, Scott, it's just being obedient. You know, every church is not called to make movies. I mean, one of the largest churches in Atlanta came down and said, we want to make movies too. And when they got through talking to us, they said, we're not supposed to make movies. Hmm. You know, every church has a unique calling. Ours was crazy in Albany, Georgia, to start making movies. But God put the people, the team, the attitude, the unity of the church, the prayer ministry of the church, all those meshed together to allow us to do something that only God could do. Well, that's great. That is great. And I, uh, what I hope, friends, as you're watching, wherever you are, in your car, your house, your work, I hope that you're getting a sense of what it looks and feels like to dream big. Because we serve a big God. And, and God is uh, wanting us to reach the world with the gospel, make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And, and Michael, you've been faithful for decades, man, you're obviously not perfect. And we don't want to elevate that any further than what, what the Lord would want us to do that. But we do want to say that we love you and we appreciate that model of excellence of just giving best effort, big effort, dreaming big and, and having that BHAG, that big, hairy, audacious goal and then doing whatever it takes to go after it and believing that God could use any of us to do that. So just one last question that I want to leave our audience with is this. How do you want people to remember Michael Catt? My life verse is, uh, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, our Lord, and ourselves as your bondservant. Um, I want people to remember that I didn't preach about myself. I didn't try to make it Michael Catt's church. Uh, I made a commitment to the Lordship of Christ under Vance Havner when I was a teenager. And I wanted to be a servant. You know, I'm a servant to the King of Kings. And um, it, leadership begins at the feet of Jesus. Uh, it doesn't begin with a title. And uh, I, I think 2 Corinthians 4 or 5 is, is what I want to be remembered for. Hmm. That's fantastic. Dr. Cat. we will remember you for that. And we look forward to many more moments like this where we're able to visit. Next time I'm up, I want to take you to breakfast because I hear there's a fantastic restaurant that up there that I could even get pancakes named after your daughter. Yes, they do. The Haley Special at Pancake Pantry. Everybody says, oh, I'm going to that pancake house. It's not the pancake house. It's the Pancake Pantry. And I want to tell you, when you go there, the Shekinah falls on it. It's, it's amazing. There's a Shekinah glory that falls on it. 
And if you come, I'm retired, but I will buy because I know the convention's not going to pay your expenses for pancakes <laughs> at the pancake pantry. <laughs> oh now, that's not for everybody that's listening. That's just <laughs> that is so I, I good. I can't do that. <laughs> so good. PJ Dunn, thank you for being on here with us today, buddy. Uh, Michael Cat, you're such a joy, man. You know, a person can't be in your presence to not just smile. Thank you so much. And, and for those of you who are watching wherever you are, thank you again for engaging because you are the reason that we do this. And some of you may be listening to all that's been said, the big dreams and all of the things that have happened. And you think to yourself, man, I can't do that. That's not me. I don't have the capacity to do that. And what I would just tell you is this, I just want to leave you with a thought because it does take hard work. And there's a single nugget in every great leader that I've ever interviewed and this runs through all of them. Every single one of them hit a wall where it was too tough, where it was overwhelming and they had to make a, ch a choice whether to give up or not. And they kept going. They broke through the wall. They persevered. Every great leader persevered. And I want to leave you with a quote, a Michael Catt quote, my favorite uh, at least my favorite in the last month. And it says this, God is in control, but he doesn't expect you to just lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. Amen. I saw that on one of your tweets, Dr. Cat. And it's true. Listen, God gives us a dream, but we got to work hard. And he's got, uh, he's given us the capacity to work hard. He's given us people around and he's given us networks like here in Georgia. We've got discipleship consultants and all the regions who will love you, who will give ideas and connect you with the right people so that you can move forward. Well, friends, we're able to do this because of cooperative program. So thank you for giving to the cooperative program and giving generously. And I pray today's discussion with Dr. Cat encourages you to persevere and inspires you to think beyond borders. And I want to challenge you as this broadcast has challenged me to live a life of discipleship where we all make world impacting disciple makers. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple-makers.